Howdy, everybody. Cable Smith welcoming each and every one of you into episode 164 of Justified Pursuit. Riding shotgun, as always, the good counselor, Chisholm Cook. You look good, man. You look look like you're uh, you're feeling good today. I don't I don't think you're going to complain about your allergies, are you? Not. No, <laughs> everybody's great. They've awesome. um, yeah. Thankfully, that orange dust has mostly cleared. Yeah. Um, we're going on. We're we're over a week now of no malady in the house. Um, I don't think we went seven days from the week before December till about ten days ago without something. Somebody with the flu or vomiting or blech. Yeah. Everybody's feeling good. So everything's good Excellent. on that front. Hey, I I told you that Henry and I take allergy shots. Have you have we talked about that? Why don't you why don't you consider that? Um we have talked about it. Why yeah. don't we consider it? I don't know. Do they have them for cedar? They have them for everything. They do? Yeah. It's really helped him. We were having like viral stuff, you know. I was yeah, feeling, but, but the shots help you not feel like that because right, it yeah, we, builds we, your we, immunity to the. Right. Riley had a bunch you know, of get stuff. Get your COVID shot. You get your immunity. Up. Except for these, actually, scientifically, they they work. Right. Well, it's just exposure <laughs> therapy that it works for everything from allergies right. to like psychological issues. You you yeah. know, if you've got a phobia, the only way to get over it is to confront it. Mm -hmm. If you've got an allergy, you need to. Dose your micro dose yourself with it. Do you have any phobias? And as an uh, as a kid, heights didn't scare me at all. In fact, I was into heights. And nowadays, I don't like being up high, looking down on stuff very much. Yeah. Uh, although I did just climb the Grand Canyon out of it in the dark. Uh, <laughs> you know what? Have you ever heard of tryptophobia? That weird fear of like like a bunch of holes. No. I don't like it. <laughs> okay, just Google it sometime. I mean, imagine if you saw a, a picture of a person's hand and it had a bunch of just little black holes in the skin. Yeah. Sounds gross, right? Right. So that, that's like, tryptophobia. And there's a certain doctor. type of plant that uh -huh. I, I see a lot of times in this regard that has, you know, it, it has a weird bloom where it's got like little holes in the Tryptophobia is a fear of like, of, of like, since we're talking about it, what do you have while I look this up? Oh, uh, well, so I don't think it's a phobia. My, my greatest fear is something bad happening to my kids. That's like out of oh, my yeah, control. Dude. Right. But Obviously. I think that's probably every parent. Um, but I look, going back to what you said about heights, I don't, I don't like looking at photos or watch. You know what makes me cringe is when I watch. What is the thing now where pe people like do? Uh, they run around and like jump off buildings. It's like a, there's a term for it. Um, what is that? It's like a yeah, like parkour. Yeah, parkour. Yeah, that stuff makes me uncomfortable watching them like where you could fall to your death at any second. <laughs> like I don't like that. That yeah. being said, uh, last weekend. Aaron and I took the kids to Six Flags, and I rode every roller coaster, every throw ride there. Uh, short of the anything that spins around in a circle that makes like, why would you do that to yourself? It's a constant loop in motion. I'm out. But like the roller coasters, I still love a roller coaster. Yeah, me too. That's not scary. Uh, let me share screen real quick. This will be fun. It tells okay. me. I'm trying to share my screen. It says it won't let me. So you gotta like enable that. It's uh, not tryptophobia. It's tripophobia. Well, I don't know how to do that. We're not that techni technologically. Screen savvy. share thing right in the middle of the toolbar at the bottom. 
Uh, An aversion to the sight of repetitive patterns or clusters of small holes or bumps. Not officially recognized as a mental disorder, uh, but may be diagnosed as a specific phobia if excessive fear and distress occur. So I don't think I'm, I'm not clinically <laughs> trypophobia, trypophobic. Did you fix it? Can I no. share? Move, move on. I don't know how to do that. All right. Well, just Google trypophobia and you'll see a picture of the plant I'm talking. It just grosses me out just looking at it right now. Blah. All right. I don't like it. Makes one puke. Blah. Yeah. So, no, I don't know that I have any. Oh, you know what? Drowning would really suck. That's another one that I don't like. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Trypophobia. Ooh, that plant looks nasty. Right. See? It's gross, right? Now, imagine if it was like that, but skin. Like Ugh. like a condition where you have okay. like little... I'm going to unsee. This is like the ladybugs thing. I could go without... <laughs> In fact, there's got to be an overlap between those two concepts. If you Google Im if you go to like other images, you'll see like... I won't. I won't with look at other that look like images. little seeds are popping out of their skin ah, like that. All right. That's yeah, disgusting. Freaking... How do we seeds? get here? Maybe it's just everybody knows it's <laughs> not, not okay. Like it's just not okay. Uh, we didn't have a show weird? last like, week. Why does that plant were, creep you out? It's you were traveling, so we played our Nikki yeah. French Co. interview, which I th I think was awesome. Yeah, to She's expose awesome. like the You look at our federal government, and the corruption is blatant. I mean, that's what we talk about on a weekly basis. But to go to small town Ohio and the the depths the, which those leftist yahoos would go to to Humili you humiliate this lady for providing a little bit of opposition, a little bit of ethics, bringing that to the table. I mean, that was mind-blowing. I know, man. Um, I mean, in some ways, it almost feels like the corruption at that level could be worse. worse. <laughs> right. You know, like what they can get away with that never, you know, just generally doesn't make it much farther than your tiny community. But, I mean, all of it, right? She talked about the control over the bureaucracy that these power players have, but more importantly, the control over local media, the local newspaper was in on yeah. it, right? I mean, like, it, it, oh, well, okay. We, we have this, which Biden was on with uh, Seth Meyers this week, or it could have been, it was either Friday or Monday, uh, Friday of last week or Monday of this week. And uh, he doubled down on if he's reelected, he's going to get the, the bill passed, the, the border bill passed. And it's like, okay, there's a hundred million, sorry, hundred billion dollars of Ukraine and Israel funding in there. Who's that money? Whose pockets are being lined? Okay, everyone, all of your constituents. It's the same thing on the the county commissioner level. It's like, uh, I'll give you this contract, but when my campaign comes, my reelection campaign comes back around, you're going to slide me some of that money. It's the same thing, just different, different levels, but yeah, yeah. I mean, disgusting. it's the exact same disease just it's just a matter of scale mm -hmm. right yeah yeah playing playing in thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands instead of hundreds of millions billions and trillions right yep uh i guess the first thing well uh, how was your trip i mean it was a, a work trip so everything good there you're doing yeah you're that was fine to, like okay all right, good. The weekend before was our church men's retreat, which I haven't discussed oh, yeah. yet. It was How fantastic. Was awesome, man. Um, awesome. It went really well. Um, I know I talked about last year when I, you know, this is my second year. It's kind of like the, you know, 
head organizer. I mean, obviously there's a, a team of men that I'm part of that put this thing together. And, mm-hmm. um, but I've kind of been tasked the last two years with, you know, it's cool. Cause like I, I have this group of mentors. I, I had breakfast with them this morning, every Tuesday morning we meet, we kind of all have our lane and, mm-hmm. you know, I, there's a guy who a couple of the guys, older guys that have really built our men's ministry. They've, one of them in particular is very much like an administrator. Like he's a task guy, like, you know, little detailed stuff, like making sure we have notepads for everybody. And, you know, just the, the administrative detail stuff is he's great at. So he just runs with that. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to build it into my part of the planning. I'm just like, Keith's got that. Right. And, um, one of the guys is very much a spiritual mentor of mine and a spiritual rock in our community. You know, if somebody's having some spiritual warfare problems, I'm, I'm sending them his way. Right. And one of my gifts, which is part of why we're do this convert, this conversation once a week is the kind of big picture, like threading together of ideas. Right. And more and more so I'm finding God put certain things on my heart that he wants to drive out, you know, a message with, and then watching it resonate and kind of reverberate back to me. Like, that was what this weekend was about. About So the last two years, I've kind of come up with the theme, handed that theme to the speakers, which kind of gives them a prompt to start with, right? Yeah. Well, back in like October or November, I just felt God saying, all right, this year, it needs to be about the about purpose. What is your purpose in life? God's mm-hmm. calling for you, right? So we came up with this journey of purpose was like the weekend theme. But then I also really felt, so we'd always, it had always been something that was lay-led, Meaning, like, I think that's all the one talks. of the hardest things about your walk with God is uh, what what you just said is what understanding His purpose. Well, His purpose doesn't always align with what my purpose, what I think sure. His purpose is. Right, and learning to let go of that, which I completely confess, like I struggle with it all the time. We were struggling with it on a certain level this morning as a men's group. So to that point, right? So so I, I heard this like journey of purpose thing and then i was and then i heard so what we've always done is it's been testimonies right men from our church giving their own personal testimonies and we would have five of them one friday night three on saturday one on sunday morning before we rolled and then divide the whole crew into small groups to talk about each talk afterward and that was very much like an aimed at guys like sharing getting stuff off their chests right um the thing i felt like kind of got felt God was calling us to do this year was to tee up our pastors to give their testimonies. Um, in part, cause we have a small church and the men that run our church are part of the men of Riverside. And here they go up every Sunday and they, they give the sermon. Right. But how many times have they really ever just like told men, like, here's who I used to be and here's how God called me to this. And we're not saying all of you guys are called to be pastors, mm-hmm. but every one of you is called to some ministry at a minimum to be the be the leaders of your own household right like so yeah you know that was sort of the framework and and i felt almost like i had cheated because i had turned all the talks over to the pros right so i had we have three male pastors they each gave a talk and then i the fourth guy was a guy who has done like 14 walks to emmaus if you know what a walk to emmaus is but it's yeah like our weekend structure is very much modeled after the emmaus walk where there's all these talks and you know pursuing freedom and getting stuff out and blah 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 so Saturday night, I was going to go with one of these guys who has 
lay led a bunch of these types of things and who I had seen given talks. And he's, his wife is actually one of our, she's on staff. <clears throat> and then on Sunday morning, we were talked about doing a panel discussion. And from that, like I just gave all of those people, like we're going with purpose. So give a testimony slash teaching about purpose. And, um, we knew we'd go with our lead pastor, John Hinky Bind to kick it off. And I knew I wanted Blake to go. Blake is the lay, lay person that gave a talk, but has this lots of experience in public speaking and you yeah. know, these types of events to go Saturday night to kind of close off the, the talks with a lay person to kind of honor the tradition of how this thing had been built by the laymen, Right. Um, and then the, this table talk, like I, I had, the guys I meet with on Tuesday mornings, three of them penciled in to be the, to be part of that. But I wanted to find one more and I really wanted to leave like a lot of room for God and the Holy spirit to just work and all of that. Right. So like when I say I felt like I cheated, it was like, I gave it over to these guys and I didn't even have to last year when I let it. And I had five lay men giving talks. We had like five meetings with each other, yeah. parsing it out and trying to like really give each one of them like a focus and, you know, trying to get them, keep them on task. And I didn't have to do any of that this time. It was just like the A-team's rolling out, right? And it almost felt like it was too easy. But the reality is the way it came together, man, like God was so all over it. So Friday night, John, our, our lead pastor, starts off with, your purpose is real simple. Be be like Jesus. Okay. And it, at first I was like, what are we going to talk about the rest of the weekend, boss? Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's not really what I had in yeah. mind, right? But then Saturday morning, so even even this, man, like I, I had it in mind that one guy would go Saturday morning and another one after lunch Saturday, and they wanted to, one of them wanted to flip that. And I relented and said, fine. So even, even that, which was not the way I envisioned it, we let it go the way he wanted to do it. And it, the, every talk built. So like the way I described it to the guys this morning, we had like our debrief was like, you know, normally we think about building from the foundation up, right? Mm -hmm. but John tasked us with this high-minded idea, which would be like the pinnacle of be more like Jesus. That's your purpose. It's as simple as that. But then the next talk Saturday morning was the town, the parable of the talents, right? Where Jesus tells this parable about how, uh, a, you know, a master gives one of his servants five talents of silver and another one, two and another one, one. And then he goes away for a while. And when he comes back, the man who received five had invested his five and made five more. And the man who had received two had invested his two and received two more. So both of them had doubled what they were given. The man who got one talent buried it in the ground. Didn't give him, couldn't even get interest on it. Just gave his one talent back and like, look what I did. I protected your talent and he's chastised. So it was like to those who have much more will be given. And to those who do little with what they have, nothing, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll he was called wicked, right? which almost sounds counterintuitive, but it's even cool where the, the word talent is a measurement unit for silver. But I, we were able to spin that into like, God gave each one of you guys talents. Some of y'all, he gave a bunch of talents to some of y'all, he gave a few talents to, but if you'll invest your talents in the, in the world in service to God and his kingdom and others, everything will come back to you twofold. Right. Hmm. Then the next talk, um, our youth pastor talked about, um, he, he really had honed in on like, pick up your cross, um, uh, and die to yourself and put on your new self. And as he and I were talking right before he went up, it was like, Oh, there's this you're in there. Right. So where John went from 
be more like Jesus. Now we have like, but you've given been given talents. And then you're told to pick up your cross. And we all know you're supposed to have your own relationship with Jesus. John, I had this idea of purpose. And in our first table group, I was with our lead pastor in my table group. And he honed in on the distinction between purpose and calling. Right. Your purpose is to be more like Jesus. But within that, you have callings to utilize your talents and to pick up your cross and put on your new self. Right. That is individual to you that you have to work out with God. Does Mm. that make sense? Yeah. So like instead. So like we started from this very high minded single sort of idea to like, all right. Now, what does that mean for you as a man? And then the table group conversation at the end. Um, man, it just was a smash. Like it went so well. Like I really need to get invested in some kind of men's small group, dude. You should. It's definitely been life changing for you. Yeah, it has. And it, you know, I go back to. Well, I would say, youth group, and just like the accountability, and then after college, I we had a little Bible study. It didn't last very long, maybe like six months, but with me and some of my you know, lifelong friends from church. And that was before people got married and had families and, you know, life just, I think got, we all kind of split off and people moved. Um, right. But it's it certainly, I think an accountability group for me would be beneficial. I don't know if I'll find that at my church or if I'll find it somewhere else, but I need to look. So put, I'm going to put that under my, uh, I don't know. I think and it, this, this conversation is just, um, further that reality that that's something in my life that's probably missing yeah i would incur i mean it's so important to me to start two or three days of each week of mine with a breakfast with some guys that whether we're talking about a specific chapter of the bible or we're just talking about life it's been huge for me yeah um well and i can see that and so i'm like man i need to i need to invest in that yeah we're supposed to have community our pastor says all the time, alone is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to put a bow on it, like the way that God gave me these two like big ideas and and then the way each of these talks like married to each other perfectly, where we started from this simple idea, but we worked our way down to the the, the night before the, the last night, Saturday. Well, the guy, the, the late the lay guy who gave the talk, who was former walk to Emmaus leader and all that, he literally handed out a a list to every man in the room of scriptures. And his take was like, if you have declared that Jesus Christ is your Lord, your King, yeah, and you are his subject, subjects don't have the, op- uh, you know, his, his rules and his commands have to be followed period. Like if they're not optional, right. And, and then he, he was like, there's 800 something affirmative commands in the new Testament about serving others and serving God and da, 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 da. So he gave everybody a like a worksheet of specific scriptures. And he's like, if you do all these things, you'll be on your path. God will sort out what to do with each of these commands. And, and so again, it went from like, just be like Jesus to like, what does that mean for me as an individual? And what are some, as we flowed through it Saturday night, I was talking to some of the older guys who were going to be on my panel the next day. And I had in mind having some more like high-minded philosophical talk, like I get into it here, right? Where it was right. One of the, 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 each speaker will give us a These list of questions. These are the times where you just go off for like 15 minutes and I don't interject much at all. Right. Well, I had it in mind that I would ask some high-minded questions of these spiritually mature mentors of mine in front of the group. 
things like, why is it that it seems like it, men have to go through a prodigal moment? That was one of the questions one of the speakers had submitted for discussion around the tables. And I don't even remember what the other ones were, but this gentleman, Keith, the one who's the taskmaster I mentioned, the administrator, he was like, you know, I think it would be a lot better if we had this whole thing focused on tactical, like, what do you do when you go home? Like how, you know, what are the things that this group you put together do to stay close to God and to understand his calling in their life? Hmm. Well, just five, 10 minutes before that, I'd had a talk with one of my friends who had pointed out how we started from this high-minded ideal. And then as we worked through it and we got to Blake's talk, it was like, here's a cheat sheet on how to pull off the high-minded ideal. And he's like, I love that. It's, he's like, it's the, so what? Like he, He's like, I'm a sucker for an action item. Give me an action item, right? Because you got all these guys. You can tell somebody, oh, all you need is a personal relationship with Jesus. And if they don't know what that means, then they're just like, where's oh, the thanks. direction? You have to follow right. that up with. Right. Yeah. And, and here's so the that, blueprint on how to do that. Some people don't even know how to pray, right? There was I this, mean, like, yeah, absolutely. a personal thing. And there's, right. I'm not saying there's a right or wrong way, but I think, you know, there's not. It has to be your own thing, but giving, but, but you can piece together your own thing from learning what worked for other men and what yeah. resonates with you when they share it. Right. Mm -hmm. That's exactly the point. Right. Is like, it's nobody's going to adopt Doug Martini, for example, one of the gentlemen up there who's got a very rigid set of disciplines verbatim what he does, but maybe a part of that works for them and a part of something I throw out there. Right. And, and they can cobble together walking with the Lord, their own approach. Right. And, yeah. Honestly, that night when Keith had mentioned we should be more tactical after this other guy, Colton, had mentioned how he loved the flow, like had gotten from high to like granular. I was feeling this prideful, like, no, I've got my thing in mind. I, I know what I want to do here. I want, I want it to keep, I want to stay like in the, in the, in the clouds with it. And within two minutes, God was like, no, we started in the clouds. Now give these guys something to walk out of here with that they can mm -hmm. try to reach me with. Right. So I scrapped everything I was thinking and Sunday morning, I stood there at breakfast with this guy, Colton, who'd first said it. And my best friend since seventh grade, Aaron, who's come now two years in a row with us, even though he doesn't go to our church. And we listed out the simplest stuff, man. Like, wish I had my notepad, but you know, it was like, <clears throat> Oh, first question. What does spiritual leadership look like in your home? Cause that was one of the big things that guys were taking away. It was like, you need to go home and become the spiritual leader of your household. Lately at my house, it's been, this is why daddy doesn't like Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to go there. Yeah. Right. Well, but I mean, dude, but that you is. You know what? Though, here, here's an example of the spiritual leadership that I was offering my, my kids over the past two weeks. And you might call it a bribe. And in, on, some, on some level it was. But my mom didn't bribe me to learn the 23rd Psalm. She taught it to me in our prayers. I wanted my kids to learn the verse. I was going to say it with them a couple times, and I was like, I want you guys to be proactive and go learn this verse. And if you do, there will be a reward for the first person that learns it. Of course, they were right all going to get a reward. Well, that's why we went to Six Flags. And, nice. you know, I was just like, well, I bribed them, but you know what? They know the verse now. Okay. And then they went okay. and were able to recite it at my mom's 70th birthday this past week, which awesome. made her feel like, oh, my gosh, this is like the greatest thing ever. And then my brother's daughter um because i have two siblings that are no longer believers and then i have one who's well my brother's daughter who's the same age as henry they started saying it and she just joined right in cool like, yeah it was pretty cool so that's for sure good leadership and i think you you are the the man of your household as god means it right even the I taylor still swift have a lot thing, of work to do right but yeah 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 so do i so do we all but, e but even the taylor swift thing 
spiritual leadership doesn't mean spiritual tyranny. Right. Yeah. We've I talked, them, we've like sort we of said, stumbled on something there. Taylor Swift. Here's why I don't like her. And this is what, this is right. who she right. is. And you know, whether that ever means they stop listening entirely or you've at least like brought something to the forefront that will help them see that there's that words have power and that, you know, you should, you should understand people's intentions when you're mm -hmm. consuming what they're putting out. Right. But anyway, like, <clears throat> so we went with that. We went with, um, so, so what does spiritual leadership look like in your house? What is the disciplines that you've adopted to sort of hear from and, and stay close to God and, and figure out his calling in your life? And then I was like, what are the lies that the devil used to tell you as a young believer? And what do they look like now? And that was an awesome question because to a man, all four were like, oh, it's the same lies. He just puts a little tweak in it. Right. Right. You know, for the guy who's the taskmaster administrator, it's always been, you don't have enough time. You're too busy. You got to be hustle, 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 get it all done yesterday. Da, 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 da. And he's like, it's the same now as it was always. Right. And yeah. Um, I don't remember. Like at the end of the day, I had seven questions written for these guys. We got through two of them, although pretty much four of the other five, they answered without me asking them because yeah. they were kind of grouped naturally together a little bit. And then where we normally go to open mic to close the thing out, like I had gotten all the guys to come forward. We had 60 guys there. All these guys came forward to the panel and we had like a huddle going on and they wanted to ask questions. Like it became this dialogue that mm -hmm. was totally organic. And um, we ended up having to scrap our normal closing and just like ride that out for 45 more minutes. Um. And it was really cool because afterward, one of my friends texted me. I mean, obviously, we do a podcast. Obviously, a big part of our podcast is me talking about all the other podcasts I listen to. <laughs> and I may have admitted on the show before, there's been a time. Um, my obsession with information can become an issue in my house. And in fact, right. I can say now it has been an idol for me at times. Uh -huh. um, and one I still struggle to thwart. Um, thankfully my wife also understands that it's part of how God made me to want to learn things and understand them, but also then to like pull them together and like share them the way I just laid out how this weekend unfolded. Like it was totally God, man. Like the whole way going back to October, the way this whole thing flowed together, like it did. Um, and, and the gift he gave me to be able to in real time, to not go into the weekend with like a hardcore plan of like, here's how everything has to go, but to leave room for the spirit and for knowing like, I'll be able to thread John's talk with Adam's talk with John, Jason's talk leading into Blake's talk to tee it up. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. that's a gift I have to be able to like on the spot, come up with some things that can thread the two talks together or three talks or five talks together in a way that creates a cohesive whole because we started with this broader mission. Anyway, <clears throat> that's, part of what I do here, right, is regurgitate all of this information I take in. My, my wife understands it. I have to be yeah, disciplined with it. By the way, don't stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> right. I have to be disciplined with it. But I got a text from one of my friends who said he thought the ending, which, you know, going all the way into that last meeting, I was like, we've, we'd never done a panel discussion and I didn't know how it was going to go. And I, I didn't want to overimpose myself in it because I specifically picked some of my mentors to be the sharers, right? But I also needed, knew I needed to like keep the conversation going and would need to press in moment in certain moments. Like, tell me more about what you meant with that, right? And yeah, I mean, it was like five minutes in, and I was like, oh, dude, this is rolling. Like, this is really good, right? And everybody was locked in. My buddy pointed out that the closing panel discussion thing was awesome. He's like, it felt like a podcast, and I was like, 
good. Thank you, God. <laughs> like, anyway, it yeah. was good. It was awesome. Excellent. I'm glad to hear it. That was two weeks ago now, or two weekends ago. And I, I, I do enjoy hearing how God is working in your life, and um, and and it inspires me to this component to get to try to get plugged in with a, a group of Christian men. We're two or more. I mean, I have you, right? And then my yeah. brother, and I, I have people I talk to. My dad, uh, obviously. Right. But I don't have and haven't had for some time that community of dudes that hold Weekly each other. Weekly anchor point. Yeah, right? a anchor yeah. point, accountability, whatever it is. Uh, Mickey, obviously, listener Mickey, good friend. Uh, and someone that I see a lot, you know, lives <clears throat> four or five houses down. Yeah, so where two or more are gathering his, in his name, there he'll be. And if there's one thing, like this retreat for me wasn't a earth-shattering thing anymore as much as just further... When you, when you're open to the idea that people are speaking into you God's intent, mm-hmm. especially other believers, right? And then you see over a six month period, God works stuff out by little pieces here and there, and then and then all of us get together, and it's like all that's just condensed, right? We're like, again, every talk just built off of each other, and everything just threaded together seamlessly, and it. It's so cool when you just accept the fact that that's one of the biggest ways that God will communicate with us. The scripture, for me, it's it's scripture slash other believers. More often than not, my prayers are answered by one of those two things, and it's almost equal, right? Mm -hmm. But then there's other times where like, he just stops me dead in my tracks, and he's like, you need to know this. Boom, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's not as frequent as just like, Something's on my heart, and then somebody says exactly. It's like the you know when you walk in on a Sunday and there's something on your heart, and the pastor's talking right to you with his sermon. That'll happen all around you with fellow believers if you're mindful of it and having conversations about real conversations about life and faith and all that. Well, stuff. you know what the mainstream media would call us for having this conversation on a podcast? Something like Christian nationalists. Yeah, this is Politico's Heidi Pers. Bila, I don't even know how to say her last name. Uh, she's a real gem, though. Let's take a listen to what she had to say on the 23rd of February. I've talked with a lot of experts on this, and I've seen it myself with my reporting, Michael, which is that the base of the Republican Party has shifted, right? Remember when Trump ran in 2016? A lot of the mainline evangelicals wanted mm-hmm. nothing to do with the divorced, uh, you know, real estate mogul who right. had cheated on his wife and with a porn star and all of that, right? So what happened was he was surrounded by this more extremist element. You're going to hear words like Christian nationalism, like the new apostolic reformation. These are groups that you should get very... Uh, very schooled on because they have a lot of power in Trump's circle. And the one thing that unites all of them, because there's many different groups orbiting Trump, but the thing that unites them as Christian nationalists, not Christians, by the way, because Christian nationalists is very different, Mm -hmm. is that they believe that our rights as Americans, as all human beings, don't come from any earthly authority. They don't come from Congress. They don't come from the Supreme Court. They come from God. The problem with that. Yeah, that's in the Constitution right at the very beginning. 
men, mm -hmm. there it is, yeah. men, yeah. are determining what God is telling them. And in the past, that so-called natural law is, you know, it's a pillar of Catholicism, for, mm -hmm. Catholicism, for instance. It's been used for good in social justice version. campaigns. Right. Martin Luther King evoked it in talking about civil rights. But now you have an extremist element of conservative Christians who Extremists. say that this applies specifically to issues including abortion, gay marriage, and it's going much further than that, as you see, for instance, with the ruling in Alabama right. this week, that judge is connected to that dominionist uh, faction mm -hmm. in talking about um, a lot of other issues, including surrogacy, IVF, uh, you know, sex education in schools. It, 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 there's a lot in addition. And therein lies the rub, Dexter, because the men are the one who get to decide. Oh. That's enough of that. But wait, did she say sex former, education or indoctrination? That, that, <laughs> that voice there at the end, that was former RNC chairman Michael Steele. Right. Trying to emasculate and remove men from the conversation because, you know, we don't Which have a say. I in thought what you and I just stuff. had this conversation literally five minutes ago about uh, men being the spiritual leader of their household. Right. Yeah, uh, not to mention it's a God fallacy. Calls us there's to do? plenty of women that don't like abortion. I'm glad you pulled the long form version because the, what I kept hearing <clears throat> until No Agenda played that yesterday was this short version that stopped at like her point that like uh, n that Christian nationalists, whatever the hell that is, mm. um, believe in believe that their rights come from God, and then it stops. And I didn't like how it stopped because it left me thinking. All right, where does she maybe go from that? Maybe it's deceptively edited. But the truth is, it just got worse and worse and right. worse and worse. And you could hear her in, her in her voice. She, A, didn't really know what she was talking about because she doesn't know any actual Christians. Right. <laughs> and B, probably also knew she was full of crap. Like you said, yeah, absolutely. It's in the documents. We are, our rights do come from God. And the entire Constitution and the Bill of Rights they don't create government. They don't allow government to create our rights. They tell government, you're not allowed to trample on these rights. Correct. That's the point of those documents. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, if, if there's a Christian in America that doesn't believe that, I question, <laughs> I have to question their faith. Like for her to parse out that that's a unique belief to something called a Christian nationalist versus like your random everyday Christian. I think the kind of Christians that she's talking about that she could probably uh, stand to be in the presence of probably have rainbow flags flying outside of their church. Um, not a lot of whole, not a whole lot of Jesus talk inside. So, yeah, you could guarantee that that is, is true. I mean, there's, yeah. <laughs> although, uh, the LGBTQRSTUV community has tried to seemingly uh, hijack the church community of late. So, um, yeah, that was uh, so. So, be on the lookout for that on both sides because I did see, and I don't know if you heard this, and I wish I had the audio, but Trump was talking about God the other day, which he hasn't really. I don't think Trump, from what I've seen, has talked about religion much in his political career. Um, so maybe she's right. Like maybe Trump is going to be trying to appeal more to the Christian right because there are tons of conservatives that are not Christians. So sure. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. There are tons of people who go to church that maybe aren't actually Christians. <laughs> There's no doubt. No doubt about that. Um, did you see, uh, 
did you did you see the talk from the lady boy Rachel Levine? Isn't isn't that the uh the tranny? Wait, what is what is yeah. what is that uh, Health and Human Services. Rachel what, Admiral, what's, it, what's its Admiral name? Admiral Rachel Levine. <laughs> yeah. Used to, used to be Richard Levine. That one. Uh-huh. Admiral uh, Dick Levine. Yeah. So I have this clip for you. I don't know if you've heard this this one yet. Uh, but it is about climate change. Hello. I'm Admiral Rachel Levine. Dick. This Black History Month, I'm pleased to partner with OMH in advancing better health through better understanding for black communities. Climate change is having a disproportionate effect on the physical and mental health of black communities. Black Americans are more likely than white Americans to live in areas and housing that increase their susceptibility to climate-related health issues. And 65% of black Americans report feeling anxious about climate change's impact. Through our Office of Climate Change and Health Equity and the Office of Environmental Justice, we're working with providers and community leaders to identify innovative approaches that empower communities to address the health consequences linked to climate change. Visit hhs.gov for more information and tune in next Thursday to hear from another HHS leader on how you can contribute to advancing better health for black communities. First of all, she's hot. Let me just tell you. Well, <laughs> love that voice, that affect that she, she, why are we saying she, he, that's a dude. That's, that's a, a dude. man who has fathered four children and decided as a 60 year old to start calling himself Rachel. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the whole point of that is climate change is racist. Right. So black community, she said 65% of, of blacks are feeling anxious about, you know what? I haven't met a single black who's ever said a word about climate change 65% numbers 65% of black people in the white house or in dc with you know three degrees behind their name and you know swimming around in in you know leftist bureaucratic farts yeah uh or 65% of them are really concerned about climate change do you think a single black mother is is ever even considering climate change in her daily life not unless she's been indoctrinated by that set of thoughts. Even if she votes Democrat, she ain't thinking about climate change. Only if she has a college degree. Okay. Particularly in some sort of grievance studies thing. Um, you know. Is the climate changing for all of us or just for black people? Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean there's like I, the stuff that this administration puts out is just so ass backwards ludicrous. There's just never any end to it. Moving on here into actually, well, that was uh, that that climate change talk was brought to us by a tranny. So I guess we already brought it back to trans. But uh, this is just for a little humor today, because this is what's celebrated in the United States of America in 2024. Uh, listen to the depths of the mental illness going on here. Bringing it back to trans. Find my gender, but it's really hard in 60 seconds. It's not that difficult. So I'm going to talk really fast. I'm gender fluid, and here's how that works for me. Ah, uh, boy, here we go. Most of the time, I'm one of two, like, modes or mindsets. You sound crazy. Most of the time, I am this weird amalgamation of, like, genders and vibes and essence and just being. That makes no sense. That I literally cannot define. I don't know. You're just going to have to take my word for it. I don't think so. It's like the universe. It's like ever flowing. There's like 
sparkle. Sparkle, And it's just like, it, it changes over time and it moves through each other and it's never, it's never one thing. No, you're just making up words. Other, like, majority of the time, I'm just a void. Like, there's nothing there. You don't say. But then every once in a while, I don't know where it comes from, but I'll just be thrust back into a binary. I'll just be sitting there chilling, enjoying my life, and then all of a sudden I'm a man? Incorrect. Or a woman? Since when? Since always. <laughs> if you could actually see the edit, the little movie clips in between this blue-haired freak's uh, explanation of their essence, uh, man, great job whoever did that. But Chisholm, that's what's celebrated in America in 2024, which somehow is worse than 2023, which we didn't think could get any worse than 2022, but here we are. <laughs> here we are indeed. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I got a big bag of nothing for that, man. I figured you would. The commentary, but, the inner, the interspersed commentary said all I would possibly want to be able to say. Like, yeah, it was it was funny. I liked it. By the way, that's a dude. No, it's a girl, or is it a dude? What do you think it was? Like, I think it was. I think it was a woman trying to be a boy with blue like, hair. What would its like, chromosome chromosomes looks like? Look like? Yeah, like XX or XY. Yeah, yeah. Who can really say these know. days? I don't know. And frankly, dude, who cares? Don't uh, care. <laughs> what is up with Bill Maher? Because we we've talked about him a lot on this show. Is like giving him credit for being this old school Democrat that thinks that his party has jumped the shark with all of the DEI, all of the tranny stuff. And I'll give him credit for that. But then he comes and he and he supports a guy who's largely largely responsible for the continued uh, degradation of society in the form of is governor Gavin Newsom. So I don't know if they're butt buddies or if he's just, what do you always call it? Just a part of the, he's in on it, you know? Controlled opposition. Yeah, he's the controlled opposition. But he's visiting with uh, Jillian Michaels. What is she? She's from that show Biggest Loser, I think, right? Mm -hmm. The fat show. And uh, anyway, he's, he's invited her on his show. This is not the show where he's like in a suit and tie. This is the one where he's smoking dope the whole time. Right. So here's what she had to say. Trying to get Gavin to run for president for a very long uh, time. And are you serious? Uh, are we living in Gavin Newsom's California? Why? Yeah, and I'm sure your life is just a I nightmare. I left because of him. Oh, right. You're Moved in to Florida? Miami. So, you know what? I'll tell you something. Lived here my in whole 2020, life. I... I I've lived here since 83. Okay. And I love where I live. I love California. I, I mean, Malibu. I'm dug in here. I share your frustrations with California. I do. And I that, those are the things I was saying to him. I mean, this is one I think things, I could pretty, I could speak to again, pretty, pretty eloquently. Are you happier in Florida? Yeah. What, what, what is it in Florida that's, that's over, that compensated more than what you had here? It feels less crazy than it does here here you just florida's have... less crazy yeah hear me out hear me out on this really here's the place what I mean. where the people are the, okay what? on bath salts like an alligator Say but isn't it amazing to you like it was in the paper today about this country came out of the pandemic way better we just fuck we won the pandemic economically i mean america God, i don't feel that way explain it to me i feel like inflation's um, insane number everything inflation is not insane bill 
I, I, go buy there, a there's, car. There's numbers. Oh, I understand. Things, a but, house but, but it has, has tripled here. Uh, <laughs> look, I, I, I get the people. Buy some fucking eggs. Uh, okay, what's Bill Maher's deal? Too rich and too high all the time. Like, he's just awake enough where, you know, like, if you've, if you've overindulged in any, anything on a given Saturday night, you wake up on Sunday morning, do you feel like your brain, like, you're awake? Do you ever have that feeling where you're not, like, really all there? Of course. Right. Yeah. So that's Bill Maher's life right now. But either the way. The guy just denied inflation is happening. Right. <laughs> He's so, like, I, yeah. I get that, but but like, no, you right. He's, he's smoking a, a blunt, I think, while he's having this conversation. Right. right. I can tell you that I feel like any drug, but maybe in particular that drug, causes your feelings to override your intellect and override your logic. Hmm. Like, period. I mean, I just he, thought this dude was almost taking that red pill, but I think he's walked it back. He can't. He won't. Well, I mean, he had on he had on Ann um, Coulter uh, last weekend, or maybe it was already Saturday before last, mm. who pointed out how the media refuses to acknowledge the identity of a shooter if the shooter is anything but a white male. And she was talking specifically about the Kansas. Of course, it's true. And he tried to pretend like that wasn't true and mocked her. And they had Van Jones on. And she went on to explain further, like, you know, the the bottom line is that the problem in the black community is fathers. It's the problem in America now. It's not just a black community thing. Well, we have we have which, Rittenhouse, minor. We have blackface Chiefs fan kid, minor. And then we have the guy that was uh that got paid bajillions of dollars from the Indian situation. All of them I don't remember the names of the other two. But we know the names of these. How about miners, the guy right? that shot and up that black? They didn't even kill anybody. Remember they the guy who nobody. shot up that black church? We sure as hell knew about his identity. But this, so Kansas City parade shooters, both African American, don't know. They have to protect their protect their anonymity. Yeah, yeah. Listen, nobody. But then also, all of, they don't also address do you, this, this recent string of or this trend in recent mass shootings of the the people being part of the trans. She mentioned that too. Right. She mentioned that too. There was a shooting in Austin in the summer of George Floyd. Do you remember the shooting on 6th Street in Austin that happened like a month or two after George Floyd? Uh, yeah. I, well, like, the I mass, a some, some dude shot a homeless guy or something. No, no. A black guy on 6th Street shot like four people a different in what otherwise would have been a national story. And within 24 hours, once people realized that it was a black guy who'd lost his mind, you don't even remember it. But that happened. The point yeah. is, that's not even the point. Yeah. We know it's a reality, right? But she went on to point out that the biggest problem in the black community that nobody ever wants to talk about. She, well, she first she said black on black crime is completely ignored. Mm-hmm. See South Chicago, right? And then she said that, you know, and the, the problem within the black community that creates these rampant, you know, levels of violence is the lack of fathers. And Vance Jones, Van Jones pointed out, he was like, well, yeah, she goes, and that's, that's a, she said, that's, that's a a tough truth to wrestle with or something like that. And he was like, yeah, it would be a tough if it was true. And everybody laughed and clapped. And Bill Maher, to his credit, goes, no, that's definitely part of it. Uh, and Van had, like, Van stuttered and had no response. Like, he 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 said, he made a joke, he mocked her, mm-hmm. and then had nothing. And then Bill Maher pushed him and was like, no, that's definitely part of the story. Pick up anything Thomas Sowell has ever written. 
he didn't bring that up necessarily, but Van had nothing is my point, right? So that's where like he's he's awake enough to see the chinks in his worldview, mm-hmm. but he's either just on the take to keep propping up the Democrats anyway, or again, he's too high and drunk all the time to logically think through the fact that he's been fed a bunch of emotional lies that cloud and hide the fact that the problems he's concerned with come from the policies of the party that he supports. That's the bottom line. I mean, he sat there and got twisted into a knot by that guy, uh, Patrick Bet David, who was like, you're a results-oriented guy, right? We talked about this the other day. So yeah. tell me a result that J- Gavin Newsom has delivered that you're down with. And he had nothing, dude. He's like, oh, I like Gavin. He's a good guy. He's like, tell me what he's done that you like. Yeah, He's destroying he your state. You're not down, down with anything that. that's going on. Doubling down on it with Julian Michaels here. He's willing to let himself made, be, a, be made a fool by people. That's sort of interesting. Patrick oh, yeah, McDavid and Julian Michaels that. both made him look like fools there. Right. Yeah. Right, a hundred percent. He keeps but doing he's still it. Doing so, it. I, well, good. I guess there's a little value in that. Maybe there's a method to his madness. Maybe his goal is I'm going to keep the still two thirds asleep liberals engaged by like giving them a blankie, mm-hmm. right? But also letting somebody else throw the cold water on them, <laughs> wake them the f up. So I it's a good cop. Maybe he's doing a good cop, bad cop thing with his whole media empire. Yeah. Or uh, well, I haven't told you that, that I so I have this open communication with uh, the Democrat that's running for governor of Montana, and it's not it's it's a mutual dislike. I don't like him. <laughs> he, do, he doesn't like me, but yeah, you, I you commented on his social media the other day because he said um, so he made this post and he's standing in front of Montana State something assembly with his choice for lieutenant governor, and it's a kid look at this guy look at see if you think he looks qualified to be lieutenant governor of a state he looks like he's about 15 years old except for he has a little facial hair and he's a uh listen to how educated this guy is of course he's going to be a great woke choice he went to make us proud road scholar columbia oxford yale law so there's his accolades he's 14 and 0 fighting against the dangerous unconstitutional bullshittery of governor gianforte I believe our state and constitution are threatened and in peril. That means we need the sharpest constitutional sword in the state. And so I commented on, this is Ryan Bussey. He's running for governor in Montana. I said, that's ironic for someone who doesn't unequivocally believe in the second amendment or the constitution to talk about the constitution being in peril. <laughs> yeah. And he, uh, he responded to me and this is typical liberal deflection doesn't address what i said he said if there's any possible way you can sashay up here and campaign across the state for gianforte i'd be so grateful please make sure to wear a texas hat a texas hat i don't i don't even know what that means uh but you know should a guy that's running for governor be engaging with me in such a childish way on social media and then secondly what does he do to address what I said? The fact that he doesn't believe in the Constitution or the Second Amendment. Um, well, give me your thoughts on that. First question I find um, on point in the reverse, which because my thought was, why are you bothering to waste your time and emotional energy on poking that 
I don't do it for him. I do it to point out to anyone that's following his page. Hey, this dude doesn't care about the Second Amendment. He's anti. Anybody who's following his page already knows that, man. Like, well, you know, on. maybe there's nobody following Ryan Bussey that doesn't that like. There are plenty of Montanans, I would imagine, who are carrying that fight forward, and I bet that. So, is he running, or is he the 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 young Yale? mouthpiece that you were talking about the one running for governor no no ryan bussey's running for governor that's okay. his choice for lieutenant governor lieutenant governor gotcha yeah. the kid yeah right and then here is his wife i don't know I if don't you can to... see what her her yeah. shirt says it says pro-choice af good for them <laughs> she's terrible she's a troll she's made that clear you've made that clear they make that clear they're all bad Okay, well, the reason why I'm invested in it clearly is because I like hunting in Montana. Montana is a great hunting state, and here we have a douchebag that's anti-gun running for governor. And well, uh, you know, he, you know, I speak out against Beto. I'm going to speak out against the same version. The same person is running for governor in Montana. He just doesn't have the the beaver teeth. He's probably a little scarier than Beto, but not by much. Uh, and Beto's not scary at all. That's like saying. I'm he, gonna if Beto had a 0.001 chance, I bet Bussy has twice the odds, which would put that at 0.002 chance. Mm. But I don't know. I don't know enough about Montana politics. Doesn't seem like a very purple state yet to me. We shall see. We shall see. We shall indeed. Let's transition, not to trans talk, but to an actual good transition you brought up uh, in our, our pre-show discussion about the Dallas mayor, my, my hometown. Huh. Uh, I did not know this and I haven't researched it. You're going to, you're going to educate us right here and then I'll give you my reaction. Yeah. So this popped up on me a couple times in the last three days. And then I read this article on daily wire more about it. And I look forward to listening to the episode of Ted Cruz's podcast, the verdict <clears throat> where this guy went on, but Dallas mayor, Eric Johnson um, has switched party affiliation from Democrat to Republican. Uh, as just a little bit of background, uh, Mr. Johnson is a black man. And here's a quote from the Daily Wire article, which I think all of this came from the Ted Cruz podcast. He did Ted's show like last week. I don't know that it's okay. aired yet because I subscribed to that one and I haven't seen this yet. So maybe it's coming out soon. But So this is a quote. <clears throat> and so I think I was always politically in a weird posture with the Democratic Party because at its core... And I didn't understand this at the very beginning. You sort of inherit the Democratic Party as a cultural heirloom when you're African-American in this country. Mm -hmm. It sort of gets handed to you as part of who you are. I had more phone calls with people distraught about this party switch than I ever would have gotten if I had told people that I was actually leaving the church. There's no question about it. There's no doubt about it. I will, I will say that loudly, I will say that loudly and on the record. I had more panicked phone calls from people genuinely concerned about what I was doing and how I could do this than if I would have gotten, than I would have gotten if I'd have just said, I don't think I'm this that into this Jesus thing anymore. <laughs> so he really is saying okay, he thinks well, he could that, have denounced see... Jesus Christ and gotten less calls from anxious loved ones, followers, friends, et cetera, than saying he wasn't a Democrat anymore. But let me let me interject here because already I can see his internal struggle because he goes to church and he identifies as a Democrat. And so I was I'm glad you made do made not that point. Align. I would imagine that if Ryan Bussey, your homeboy, claims to be a believer, I'm gonna his, keep investing in Ryan Bussey. His faith is lukewarm at best, and God is spitting Oh, he doesn't it, claim that. There's no way. 
Well, I mean, Bill Moore. Bill Moore is an atheist. So you want to figure out where the root cause of Bill Moore's confusion comes Look from? At his wife's that shirt. dude doesn't believe there's Christian's a God in the first walking place. around with a pro-choice AF shirt? No Christian's wearing that. So Even if they believe that, they're not th- th- wearing that shirt. This is the part of Mr. Johnson's um, interview that I think you're going to like the most. Mm. At the Democratic Party's core, as I was saying, is a belief that how things turn out for you in this country are largely determined by things that are outside of your control. The race you're born, the neighborhood you're born in. It's just kind of excuses, excuses away your failures and excuses away your successes to something that's out of your control. If you're successful and you're white males, it's because of course you were. And if you're unsuccessful as an African-American, it's because this deck was, deck was stacked against you. And I just wasn't a person who ever believed that. And that wasn't how I was raised. And it's not what I was taught, but it was the overarching political philosophy of my party. I bet Johnson he had a said, so this, is, this part's no longer a quote. Johnson said that politicians need to be more honest about what the winning formula is oftentimes when it comes to dealing with policy issues. Quote again, the winning, this is this, is this dude's quote, former Democrat, now Republican mayor of Dallas. The winning formula ends up being exactly what the conservative ideology would tell you. It has to do with taking upon yourself the responsibility for yourself and not believing that the Democratic Party or any party is there to save you. And the Democratic Party wants you to believe you can't get there without them. Dude, show me a more def- just that I man's walking in truth, dude. Certainly, that man knows I've Jesus. been able to vote because I, I did live in Dallas from the time I was born until uh, Aaron and I got married and moved to Texarkana. So 26 years. I don't ever remember having a Republican mayor in in my still well, having a collective one. memory. Right? Let's see if the guy gets reelected. Well, I don't know. He's he shunned his party, so well, usually saying. they they eat their own. I doubt that he'll get reelected. But if he doesn't, hey, you know what? Maybe run for Congress as a Republican. I mean, dude, I did know. that 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 last bit there? I mean, wasn't that? Yeah, of course. Pull yourself up. You want to talk about a man having just truly woken up, dude? That guy looked around and realized. These MFers are praying. The only thing he didn't say is the Democratic plantation, because that's what it is, man. They emotionally abuse you into slavery to their causes. All based on emotional manipulation. And this dude's like, no, that's not how I was raised. This is the highlight of today's show for me personally, hearing. I knew you would like it. I'm glad glad you brought up what you brought up that led to that. (laughs) For my, for, for. You know, it makes me proud of my hometown to have an awakening from from the leader of the city, elected leader, to to come out and say this is BS. What the Democratic Party is feeding you, because all, it, basically what he just said is all it is going to do is keep you down, because you're never going to pull yourself up. You're going to be looking for the handout, and they're going to give you just enough, like I always say, to suck off their tit, but it's going to keep you down. So say no to that. Democratic titty and pull yourself up by your bootstrap and make something of yourself. And that's what the dude just said. And he left the party. I mean, it's amazing. My my mind is blown. Just my mind. You blew my mind. I'm glad I could have made your day, bro. Yeah. <laughs> what is Can the dude's please? name? I got oh, tell me his name again. Uh Johnson. It was um Eric Johnson. I think it was Eric Johnson. Yeah. Did you imagine someone Dallas in Mayor Chicago? Chicago or or San Francisco or New York? I mean, this is 
Could you imagine? It's particularly blue, even by Texas standards, right? In by, by Texas standards. Adams in New York, or I forget, uh, Beetlejuice 2.0 is actually worse than the original model. Uh, that dude d- pulling something like this. I think it's Johnson in Chicago too, isn't it? I think you're right. Yeah. Eric Adams in New York, and then something Johnson. This dude's name is Eric Johnson. Of course, I didn't hear about it, right? Because they don't make national news when when someone like says, "You know what? Y'all are full of crap." Right. So nobody's yes. heard about it. And this, I was, this guy's this guy's awakening will not should be, be a national headline, but it isn't. That revolution will not be televised. Yeah. Um, I've saved Same you twenty minutes. Thomas Sowell, one of the greatest thinkers that has ever lived. Nobody knows who he is. Yeah. Well, you know what they'll say about this dude. Governor or uh, Mayor Johnson is that he's just an Uncle Tom. Same thing they say about Thomas Sola if they ever even acknowledge his existence. Clarence, Clarence Thomas, Clarence, Uncle Clarence, all of them. Yeah. Yep. Um, they're doing the white man's bidding. Stylish cat say. too. Check that hat. Oh yeah, the hat's dope. Yeah. All right. Well, my new favorite mayor. Um, <laughs> I saved you twenty minutes for Fanny talk. So let's unpack that because I know you'd probably kill me if I. Uh, if I didn't let you get this, the, the, so much. the, the weekly Fanny big things today <laughs> discussion off your chest. I'm good to go a little beyond that if you are, but if we have a hard stop, just tell me. Um, first, I, got, I can go 30 more minutes. Okay. Um, I have referenced it a few times, but as you and I discussed the other day in on the Justified Pursuit podcast, she will henceforth be referred to as Fanny the Eft. Mm. That would be F apostrophe E-D. I'm not going to say it out loud. I wanted to, but I'm not because uh, I'm really, really working on it. Um, of course, your Jillian Michaels clip was riddled with F-bombs, but... We don't claim, you know, the, the, the clips we the, play are not... That's not us. The F is very deliberately at least a double entendre. She is F'd and certainly has been F'd by her boyfriend. <laughs> a lot of effing going on with Fanny Willis. She's trying to F Trump and his people. She's trying to F the Constitution, so she is Fanny the F'd, F apostrophe E-D. <clears throat> but the way she's most F'd is... Pun intended, we get it. Yeah. The way she's most F'd is the trouble that she and her homeboy have got, her boyfriend have gotten themselves into, man. So, since we last spoke, um, last week was a week of what seemed to be relative silence on the matter, so... Mm-hmm. We were we have recorded an episode since the hearings, right? Yeah, right. So so last week when we didn't do an episode was sort of a, a dead zone, a dead zone where we did we talked through like the, the actual like Fanny testimony and the Nathan Wade testimony and all that. Ah, see, I, now I get confused if we actually talked about it I'm on sure the show or we just talked about it on the it phone because we talked about coming. it. I think we talked about it on the phone. Okay, two weeks ago, Thursday and Friday, they had a hearing an evidentiary hearing on whether or not Fannie Willis, the district attorney for Fulton County, Georgia, who has brought the RICO charges, the organized crime charges against Trump and 18 other defendants. And the man she hired, (laughs) the man she hired as special prosecutor, Nathan Wade, have a conflict of interest due to the fact that they were having a sexual relationship throughout most of this prosecution. And he was taking her on lavish trips while she was paying him $250 an hour sometimes for 24 hours worth of, quote, work. And that maybe actually is more legitimate than we thought, because while he definitely wasn't practicing law for 24 straight hours, he seems to have been spending long nights working with her 
we'll circle back to that. Working her. So their testimony was a real mess. The first person they tried to call was the former law partner and attorney for Nathan Wade, a a cat named Terrence Bradley, who, according to the lady attorney, Ashley Merchant, who brought all this crap to light, had shared with her, yeah, their relationship predated November of 2021 when she hired him to be the special prosecutor. She had put in a motion sworn testimony affidavit through him that their relationship didn't start till early 2022. You know, she claimed that she paid back roughly half of everything on these trips, all that. Well, Ashley Merchant comes forward and says, I got this guy ready to testify that he has personal unprivileged, in in other words, not attorney client privileged information that their relationship predated that. And he's ready to testify that. I also have a lady who was her former roommate, uh, and work for her who will testify to the same. So they bring her out, him out two Thursdays ago. And right off the bat, he's like, no, nah, I'd never talked to you. And Ashley was like, you've never talked to me. He's like, no, now we never talked. He's, oh. She's like, okay, have we texted? We might've shared a text or two. And right then the prosecutor's office, and it's really weird because Fanny's not currently represented by anybody other than her co-prosecutors, right? They haven't brought her own her attorney to the table. She's still being represented by her own employees at the moment. I don't know how much longer that's going to last. They're jumping up saying everything that she put in her motion to bring forth this evidence you're hearing was a lie. This man has just testified to it. And it was all, it was not brought forth on a good faith basis. And so we shouldn't even be here. And he's claiming that the bar told him he's not allowed to speak about any of this because it's all attorney client privilege because their attorney client relationship goes back as far as like 2019. So they say, all right, do you have any other way to prove that there's a good faith basis for being here? She's like, yeah, I got this other lady. So let's bring him forth. Oh, no, no, we object to that because she they she said this was her star witness and now he won't testify. The judge is like, well, if they have another witness ready, let's bring her in. That lady says they've been doing it since 2019. How do you know? Because I watched them making out, watched them hugging, kissing on each other. I've been friends with her since 1994. She lived in my apartment because Fanny moved out of her house in 2021 into this other gal's condo while that gal was elsewhere, subleasing it to her, all this stuff. Then they bring on Nathan Wade. They prove unequivocally that he perjured himself in his divorce case when he claimed he was not having an affair in writing, in written what's called interrogatories. He claimed that she paid him back half of everything that he spent on these vacations, which they have proof of on his credit card receipts, his work credit card, by the way, his law firm credit card. Yeah, did she pay back paid half of back it in, in cash? In cash? In cash. <laughs> in cash. Half convenient. of everything in cash. Um, he claimed that even though the what interrogatories. Was her, what was her uh, mindset? So, do you actually believe she paid him back in cash? Because I think you told me you maybe believed her. I think I really still believe that she probably stuffed a lot of cash in his hands over that period of time. Is it truly half? No, because even in his affidavit, he claimed roughly half, right? Now, she has proof she paid for one vacation entirely for his 50th birthday. I think that was in 22. Mm-hmm. I think they went to like Barbados. Um, but she's but such then, a ball-busting, ball-busting, proud, overly proud feminazi. Yeah. Like, I... They he okay, they okay. said this was your your answer to my question. So she didn't pay him back in cash because she wanted to protect like a paper trail. She no. paid him back in cash. If she, she was, was worried, so proud. Right. Like because I was like, why didn't she just write a check if she was no, worried no, no. about right? If and that's the thing is that's part of her problem, right? 
she was should have disclosed these things, disclosed this relationship, disclosed these trips, and paid things. If she was going to pay things back, she should have done it in a way that they could prove it. That's right. the, one of her biggest faults. That yeah. doesn't mean she didn't stuff some cash in this man's po- pocket. They both claim that the reason they broke up in the su- last summer was because she was too ball. She's too much of a ball buster. He wanted right. a woman to act like a woman, right? Who would let him open doors and stuff for her. And she's like, I don't know. I'm a, you know, she's been divorced for 20 years, right? Like she brought her dad on who claims they claim together that the reason she hoards as much as 15 and $20,000 in cash money in her house is because he's been teaching her since he was a black Panther in the sixties and seventies that any person, they say it's a black thing, by the way, black, it's a black thing to hoard wads of cash in your house. But especially he says, women should have the ability to take care of themselves for six months in cash. She should always have $200 in her wallet, no matter where she goes, especially if she's on a date in case things go sideways, she can bail. They're claiming all this. I, I don't deny for a second that this lady has hoarded some cash before. And I, I do think that there has been some demand at times that she stuffs, but I don't think for even, I don't think it's even close to half. And it doesn't change the dynamics that she hit it. It doesn't change the dynamics doesn't change the dynamics of any of it. They, he had to admit on the stand he doesn't have a single deposit where he took as much as $2,500 from her, supposedly, and put it in the bank. They were like, wouldn't you have put that back in the bank? And he goes, why do I have to re... I could just spend it. Can't you... That's what cash is. You can just spend it. And she doesn't have a single withdrawal proof. She can't point to a single withdrawal where she pulled out cash because it's I all know, just came out of her... she's got 15 grand just in the house, you know, laying around. Right. Meanwhile, she had to admit... <laughs> That she had a $4,500 lien on her personal property during much much of this. So she's dropping $2,500 at a time in cash, supposedly, to pay him back for these lavish vacations. But she ain't even paying her taxes. That's hilarious. Meanwhile, he swore in one of his divorce proceeding interrogatories that he didn't have more than $5,000 to his name. (laughs) Yeah. So... So they got problems. But yet he billed her for 24 hours straight one time. Right. So they finally, so, so Fanny goes so out and it's probably, this was Natural or actually, no, he's probably just banging her, but right. This was really screwy. So, so Nathan Wade testifies and then they're like, well, I guess we'll call Fanny Willis next next. And before they finish saying it, she storms in in her sassy little pink dress and she's got papers and she's like, I'm here. I'm ready to go. While her attorneys, the people who work for her are objecting to her being called, right? They're literally in the process of saying, your honor, we object to Fannie Willis being called. She comes storming in because her office as the district attorney is right down the hall, right? She's in the courthouse. That's where she works. She comes bombarding in and decides to take the stand for herself. First question out of the gate was, for those who don't know, if you're going to be testifying in any proceeding, you're not allowed to hear the testimony of the other witnesses while they're giving it. Because the point being... We want the truth. And if you're listening to other people testify, you might just repair it what they said, even right. though you know right. They got this is to why whenever out, like, I would it, get in trouble in high school with my buddies, they would they would uh right. sequester us separately and be uh, right. grill us down That's so right. that we couldn't change our See stories. if the stories align. If they align, maybe it's the truth. If they don't, you know somebody's lying. Right. So so the first question Ashley Merchant asked her is like, ma'am, were you listening to the proceeding? How'd you even know to be here? Like right off the bat. Like She's like, no, I, I, yeah, I heard that it was, I heard that I was called. And she's like, well, were you listening to Mr. Wade's testimony? No. Okay, fine. They go through their thing. Their testimony is more or less aligned. And 
she was bombastic. She had canned lines calling Michelle, Ashley Merchant a liar, you know, blaming everything on I'm a proud black woman. He's a proud black man. He's a Southern gentleman. I'm not. My black father will tell you why this, that, and the other. The left spun her testimony as, as a victory and a triumph. See, she paid it all back. Their stories align. She's defiant. She's strong. She was in charge. But most everybody else was like, man, the lady doth protest too much. It's a Shakespeare line. Mm. I think it's from Macbeth. Um, boy, she was really adamant and screaming, literally yelling. It's funny because she was yelling and then she accused one of she accused Donald Trump's personal attorney for as, as yelling at her, which he was not. But anyway, because <laughs> even the judge had to say he's not yelling, man. Um, it was just a big well, orchestrated know, she's a victim, show. You know? Like it was so clear. There was specific things that she said where you were like, "Yeah, she was coached to." That gave them the soundbite, right? So, that was so the- we we talked about when she and maybe even played the clip of when she went and spoke at the church, right? Right. And laid the groundwork of, "I'm a victim. I'm a black right. woman. I'm a victim." Right. So, did she continue with that line of, uh, you know, reality in these proceedings? Yeah, she had this one line that was that was again clearly can where she Her said, reality. "Y'all are confused. Y'all think that I'm on trial, and no matter how much y'all try to think I'm on trial, you can't put me on trial. They're the ones that are on trial, right? It was like, oh, they're yes, <laughs> she's a victim. They're coming after me. This is a witch hunt. Blah blah blah. The biggest single thing you 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 know, like no matter how strong they thought she did, the next day, Friday, two Fridays ago." It was the def- it was the prosecution team's turn to defend her, the prosecutor in this case, by letting them cross-examine her after Trump's team had it out. They were like, yeah, we're, we're good. Miss, Miss Willis proved her point. We're not calling her back to the stand. They would not bring wow. her back on the stand, even to be questioned with friendly questions, because they knew, like, all we're doing is creating a bigger problem, right? So then that meant they brought Mr. Bradley back. Now, Mr. Bradley is where we started. He's the former law partner, allegedly helped Nathan Wade in his divorce proceedings, who's claiming that everything he's ever possibly known about Willis and Wade's relationship is attorney-client privilege. They bring him back on, and right off the bat, Ashley Merchant's like, let's go back to when they called me a liar. (laughs) When you claimed you'd never talk to me, and they claimed that I'm a liar for saying you had. How about we talk about all these text messages here? You see, let, do you remember texting me on such and such date? And he's like, no, nah, pull your phone out. No, I don't see that here. Did you delete it? No, I didn't delete anything. Your Honor, can I bring my cell phone up to the, uh, the dais so that he can review the text threads as I have them? Uh-huh. Sure. Sir, do you, do you see there where, where I texted you and asked, hey, what do you think about that motion that I sent you in which I said that you would testify as to personal knowledge about this relationship that was not um, privileged. In other words, she had proof that she had sent this mother effer the motion that brought forth the hearing that they tried to dismiss where he not only received it, but acknowledged looks good. He replied and said, yep, looks good. I'm ready to rock and roll seal of approval. All right. So they're trying to, that's right. They're trying to get it. They're trying to block it all as attorney client privilege. So now there's this interesting game going on. That was just nonstop. Like every question, objection and it was so funny man there's this lady anna cross that works for that office that's the uh there's there's two prosecutors working under nathan wade and and fanny right they're dumb as a box of rocks they've got no competent attorneys which is not that uncommon man like 
really good attorneys, they don't keep working for the state for very long. There's no money in it, right? Like right. really good attorneys, they do two years in the prosecutor's office and then they go somewhere where they get to knock down 750 bucks an hour for their work, right? <clears throat> this poor dumb lady, Anna Cross, would say, objection, your honor. I, uh, okay. She pull a on Biden? What, just like on, on what grounds, Miss Cross? Uh, Word this looks really bad, I guess. I object because this is not good. Like that's all she had half the time, dude. <laughs> But they're trying to object to the idea that that this lady attorney, this Trump attorney, uh, Ashley Merchant, that she shouldn't be allowed to talk about the text between her and this man that proved that he had agreed to this whole thing and had acknowledged he had knowledge, right, that was not privileged because the underlying information she was trying to get out of him was privileged. Well, at this point, they've already got a witness that has testified the relationship goes back to 2019. Would it help if this dude said the same? Sure. But they don't actually need it. All they're trying to do is reestablish their credibility and the fact that this mother effer said he was ready to testify. And just because he's scared to death, when this dude came out that first, that very first Thursday morning, I was watching yeah. it on YouTube and you, you'd have thought he was like, like he was carrying a gunshot wound in his gut. He looked so scared and sick, dude. And it even was mentioned that he was threatened by Nathan Wade. You better, you best remember your privilege. Like he has a text to that matter. So, oh, wow. so the, so Nathan Wade is going to try to throw him under the bus for, you know, for violating his attorney client privilege duties. The bar, the Georgia bar, which I'm sure is full of leftists has gone, has already threatened his, his livelihood based on this. He, I'll get to it. He was ready to testify and undoubtedly had things he knew wasn't privileged, but now all of a sudden everybody's on the attack for him and he's, like he was freaking out, dude. Um, and he doesn't look to be real healthy. He's pretty overweight. Like he just looked scared. Sounds like didn't his brother needs there, a little like witness protection. Yeah. So so th there's this interesting thing where they're trying does. to object to the underlying information. But all Ashley Merchant and the D Trump attorneys are trying to prove is that these texts occurred. Right. And it leaves the question like. In this m context, in this Rico case. The existence of their relationship, which they now admit, how do you even claim that's privilege? They've now admitted it. It's now been proven in court. He had to amend interrogatories because he lied in his divorce proceedings about it. Mr. Bradley, were you part of that lie? Did you facilitate that lie? No, it turns out that their attorney-client relationship ended before he filed those documents where he lied about their relationship. Well, that's kind of interesting. Should we dive into that a little bit? No, nope, no, nope, it's privileged. Okay. Long and short of it is, they were, they agreed. They had to, it was like very, very delicately. It was a lot of back and forth. Like for your average layperson, it would have been impossible to watch. It wasn't sexy law and order That's stuff. That's why we have you to break it down for a guy us. like me. This, it was, it was awesome, dude. So I watched exactly zero minutes. Right. So they agreed, the judge agreed to take all of the dialogue and back and forth, what they call in camera, which is, off the record into the judge's chambers and you know because in in theory the judge should be able to look at everything and say this is privileged this isn't this objection is sustained this right and then it doesn't go into the record but the problem here is there's no jury over this the judge is going to be the one making the decision so that leaves the question if he looks and he sees all right this dude violated his privilege violated attorney client privilege in providing information that proves the relationship existed if it's privileged, can he, he can't in theory then use that in his decision. 
So how do you once it's the same as like the reason you object to stuff in trial is so that it doesn't hit the jury if it's improper, right? Because you don't want to taint the jury. Right. So similarly, how do you take all this information into can in into closed doors? And how does the judge parse out what he's allowed to consider and what he's not? When at the end of the day, it's Nathan Wade, the client, it's the client's privilege, right? Only the client can waive the privilege. Well, part of my argument is he already did when he admitted in an affidavit a month ago now to having had a relationship with her in the first place, regardless of when it started, right? So they've got all this to sort out. They agree to take some of it off offline, but then they get up to ask him questions. Oh, it, it, so, so the last questions to this dude were, so y'all's, y'all's professional relationship ended in like the summer of 2022, right? Yeah, correct. You broke up your law firm and you stopped being his attorney, right? Right. Why did the law firm break up? And he said, well, that's privilege too. They said, so the law firm broke up because of your something to do with this divorce proceeding? Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, I guess we can't ask any more questions about that. Well, then these idiots that work for Fannie Willis have their shot at Nathan Bra- at, at uh, Terrence Bradley. And the first thing they throw out there is, Mr. Bradley, isn't it true that the reason y'all's law firm fell apart is that you were accused by two women of sexual assault? <laughs> Mr. Bradley goes, well, yeah, I was accused, but, and yeah, that, you know, we, 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 we had a falling out over it, but it wasn't true. And none of it even, I never got charged with anything. And, and that was all a bunch of shit. So Trump's attorneys are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He just told us five minutes ago that the reason that the law firm fell apart had to do with his attorney-client privileged relationship with Mr. Wade and his divorce proceedings. Now, y'all are saying that it's got to do with some completely unrelated BS about sexual assault claims? And the judge goes, yeah, I got to be honest. I'm a little bit concerned that Mr. Bradley doesn't know the definition of attorney-client privilege. So we're going to have to have a conversation with Mr. Bradley next week. And decide whether all of this information you've refused to, you know, all these questions you've refused to answer are properly founded on privilege. So this lady, Anna Cross, and this other idiot whose name I've forgotten that worked for Fannie Willis, literally pulled out a 45 and shot a big old hole in all of their own feet by trying to impugn this guy's motivations with some, you know, Brett Kavanaugh, Clarence Thomas bullshit about a, you know, a past alleged assault. All that meant was now the judge is going to dive all the way into everything that Ashley Merchant's been saying. This dude's been saying where she had already he had agreed to the idea that he had unprivileged information. So they come forward and they file they file a motion late last week saying that the judge shouldn't even be allowed to ask Mr. Bradley any questions in camera behind closed doors because it would taint the judge's perspective. Well, doesn't the judge um, want to know the facts on the case? Mr. Bradley, yeah, exactly. Mr. Bradley, his attorney files a motion on his behalf that now pushes the date of their attorney-client relationship all the way back to 2016. Now, keep in mind, they're saying that the that the that the Wade Willis relationship started in January of 2022. She she hired him in November of 21 uh-huh. on the case, right? Well, Wade had testified that his wife had cheated on him in 2015 and that they've been in theory divorced since then, even though the divorce case is still pending. They're still legally married. He was like, yeah, none of my interrogatory responses were lies because technically our relationship by agreement has been over since 2015 since she cheated on me. It's like, well, y'all may call it that, but why are you going through a divorce right now? Right now, this dude who had said he began representing 
Nathan Wade somewhere around 2019 in a divorce that didn't get filed until the day after he was hired as special prosecutor against Trump on November 2nd of 2021, he comes forward with a motion after getting grilled by all these people. Oh, it turns out our attorney-client relationship goes back to 2016, which leads us all to believe, like, does that mean that they've been screwing since 2016? Maybe. Mm. But, (laughs) damn it, what was I going to say? Oh, he had already admitted on the stand after some questioning, he has no contract showing that he was ever the attorney, in fact, hired by Nathan Wade. He has never taken a dollar from Nathan Wade as his representation. Now, that's actually, that doesn't matter. I could tell you, hey, I'll help you with this legal matter. And if you believe that I'm representing you, whether you pay me or not, I'm obligated to withhold, you know, to protect the privilege, right? Right. Unless there's exceptions like, um, uh, it's called the crime fraud exception. In other words, like, I can't, facilitate you committing a crime or a fraud on the court. Mr. Bradley seems to have maybe done some of that. So they throw all this crap out there saying he, you shouldn't even be allowed to talk to him judge. And then I'm almost done at the end of last week, Trump's attorney Sadow comes forward with a new motion that includes cell phone data that they were able to subpoena from AT&T. And this is a very interesting thing that we should pick back up next week. The Trump team was able to take Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade's cell phone numbers to AT&T and subpoena every communication that they had with each other. Oh, this is great. Yeah. From 11, for the 11 months from January 1st till November when he was hired of 2021. Now, they don't have like the texts themselves, but they have the number of texts and the dates mm-hmm. and times of texts. They obviously don't have the phone conversations themselves but they have the dates and times and links of phone conversations these two talk to each other over an 11 month period on the phone 2,000 times that's 160 times a month mm-hmm. that about right how many times do you think you've talked to your wife in the last month on the phone yeah it's over 160 170 180 times a month i probably talk to my wife on the phone one to two times a day and she calls me when she's on the way home from work. And then maybe like, hey, what do you want for dinner? Or I'm picking this kid up from practice. What's y'all's plan with the other two kids? And that's about it. So maybe 60 times a month. Right. Probably probably less than that. But let's say it was three times a day. Mm-hmm. 90 times a month. No, These never, two cats much. were talking to each other twice that much. And they shared something like 1,500. Dude, it was, it was like 30 text messages a day. I don't remember what the total on the t- 10,000 text messages. I think it was 10,000 text messages and like 2,000 phone calls. But more importantly, wow. more importantly, so they used a private investigator who used a company. I, can't, I forget the name of the company, but that, it, that the like law still enforcement. in the honeymoon phase of their relationship, it, it appears, because nobody right. talks to somebody that much. Perfect. Their law enforcement in, uh, industry uses a particular service. I can't remember what it's called, but that they, they, they use to compile geo tracking data. And so they put a, a geo fence around Fanny's, the condo that she was staying in, that she was subleasing from the lady who threw her under the bus. Right. <clears throat> now it's like a two or 3000 foot radius. If I remember correctly, or, couple, or maybe even a couple miles. So in theory you could say, well, he was close, but he lives like 45 minutes away. And they had 35 instances where he had driven into this geofence over that 11-month period. 
They claim it on the stand. He might've visited that condo 10 times. More importantly, they have two instances where he showed up between the hours of 10 and midnight after a phone call. In fact, one time they were on the phone, the whole Booty drive. Call. He's going to go M- Megan, pound Fanny's Fanny. Fanny. <laughs> Megan Kelly's calling it a Fanny call. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Between so, so there's one instance where he's driving the whole time to her house. They're on the phone together. And then he leaves in That's one of those two instances play. at 3.45 a.m., the other time at 5 a.m., and at least one of those two times, as soon as he returned to his house, he texted her, which everybody sort of interprets as, hey, I'm home, right? And thank you for so, that. So they have responded saying that none of that's relevant. None of that has anything to do with anything. And it's it shouldn't be allowed. Yeah. Because right. everyone texts and calls each other at 3 a.m. Shouldn't be allowed. And in their response motion, they provided some calendar screenshots from Fanny's calendar to explain some visits he might have had with her or to point out that she had a meeting set on one of these days where he visited. So, you know, hey, look, there was probably like because he was actually working for her and his law firm, Terrence Bradley and all those people were working for her as special prosecutors on other cases at the time. So one of their defenses is she would often call meetings at her house. And and, well, and and then he, Nathan Wade, is um, part of her kitchen cabinet of close counselors but they've already responded the trump team's already responded and said okay great you've 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 offered some explanations yet nowhere in your response motion did you acknowledge the two nights in question that we're pointing to where mr bradley was over there from 11 till four or five o'clock in the morning mr wade wade i'm sorry thank you and oh by the way both of you guys testified the week prior that he never once stayed the night with you before 2022 so you got, where's your excuses for these two nights? Oh, it's unreliable data. Well, guess what that means for every one of these people that she's bringing up, all these gangbanger rap stars that she's bringing up on prosecution right now for organized crime. She's going to undoubtedly pull cell phone records to show where they were on any given night when a crime was going down. And they're going to say, hold on. You just said in February of you know 24th or whatever it was that this cell phone data is unreliable. The prosec- you know, the div- district attorney's office itself has said that this shouldn't yeah. be allowed. Dude, that's it is the other 45. Epi- they just shot themselves in the other foot. Yesterday afternoon, Mr. Bradley had to come in and spend an hour and a half with the judge, his lawyer, Mr. Bradley, and the judge to go over all of the communications he was having with Ashley Merchant and whether or not some of that stuff he should be forced to testify about his knowledge of the relationship. As soon as that meeting ended, they brought Nathan Wade and his attorney in and spent 10 minutes with him and let him know we're calling this guy back to the stand because a lot of this information is not privileged because these emails and texts show he did acknowledge that it's not privileged. So today at 2.30 Eastern, there is a continuation of Bradley's testimony during which he's going to be forced to answer the Trump team's questions about his unprivileged knowledge of the Nathan Wade, Fannie Willis relationship, to which he has already spelled it all out in texts and phone calls that he denied ever having had. And the whole thing is going to be ruled on, I think, on March 1st. Uh, So we'll have much to... On on March 1st, they'll have the closing arguments, and he's expected to rule by mid-March. So so today, Bradley goes back on the stand. Dude, along the way... These lawyers tried to claim that they had a litany of 
people ready to, to, to testify against say the lady, um, the late, the former uh, employee slash like landlord of Fannie, who was the first one to say, yeah, this thing goes back to 2019. They said that they had witnesses ready to testify. That wasn't true. They haven't called, they have not called a single witness the other than her daddy, Fannie's daddy, <laughs> whose only testimony related to the fact that he's always taught her to hold on to cash. Yeah. That's all they've had. Dude, Nathan Wade is going to lose his law license. Terrence Bradley is probably going to lose his law license. They're both going to probably end up on charges for perjury. Nathan Wade for sure. Fannie Willis is going to get taken off this case. She's going to definitely lose her reelection if she doesn't withdraw from the case from 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 the from the campaign. Has in, she in not general. done? In, has she not perjured herself? I think she's definitely perjured. So then, herself. why is she not going to lose her license? As the well? only reason I say that she might get away with it is that. Nathan Wade did it in writing in his divorce case and then went and changed his answers to those written interrogatories when the shit hit the fan. What you'll have in the Fanny case is her testimony and Nathan's testimony against the testimony of the lady that used to work for her and Terrence Bradley. And unless a smoking gun comes up that proves that, that Bradley and I can't remember the lady's name, that these two are telling the truth, like they'll have to, somebody will have to decide, a prosecutor in Georgia will have to decide that there's enough evidence that this lady perjured herself to actually bring her up on charges. I think at a bare minimum, she's going to be strongly reprimanded by the bar. She might very well lose her license and she might very well be charged with a crime. But Nathan Wade did it in writing in light in two different proceedings and has proven it because in the divorce proceeding, he said, I didn't have an affair. And then in this case, when she filed her first response to this, Fannie Willis filed her first response to this, he submitted an affidavit admitting he was having an affair. So he submitted two court filings that prove he lied in the first one. Right. Even if, you know, you don't even have to prove he lied under oath in this matter, right? Um, but beyond that, I think these two sap attorneys that work for her that are trying to hold this thing together with bubble, the, the, the arguments that they're putting forth and the links that they're willing to go for to cover her ass, they're going to get reprimanded by the bar as well. Like, They'll be like, they're probably not going to lose their licenses, but their reputations are foobar. Like the whole, the whole prosecutor's office is going to have a house cleaning and this lady, Anna Cross and this other dude that she's hired. I'll be surprised if they can survive. Like they're going to have to, I feel like they're going to have to change careers, whether they get to keep their bar licenses or not. Cause there ain't going to be nobody in Georgia. That's going to hire those two idiots for anything with the Welcome way that they small they town, middle them. America. Yep. Something like that. Well, and I will continue to be skeptical that anything, any consequences ever befall on any left-wing individual at any time or place because of, well, history says that it won't. But Amen. You, keep, you keep giving me optimism, <laughs> and every time I'm disappointed, this time you seem to be so adamant that there will be repercussions uh, that I'm going to buy into it. I'm going to drink the Kool-Aid. The fact that they're putting Terrence Bradley back on the stand this afternoon should give you lots of reason. Like the fact that the judge was like, nah, this ain't privilege. You got to answer these questions. Mm -hmm. That's, that's not good for these people, man. That is not good. Well, because the truth happy. is I think he's already had enough evidence to decide, like, I'm going to take you off the case because there's bare minimum, the appearance of impropriety here. And the right? case, by the way, is dead at that point. The Rico case against Trump goes away. Pretty much. I mean, it doesn't, 
when you won't have time to, to get someone else on the case in before November 2024. They, right. It will delay it past the election for sure, which it wasn't likely to. She was trying to push for an August start date. Well, that timeline's blown out of the water, even if somehow she gets to stay on the case. He's not going to dismiss the case over this, I don't believe. He's going to disband for sure these two and likely her whole office. And if he takes their the office off the case, then the attorney general for the state of Georgia has to find another prosecutor's office who's willing to take it. I don't think anybody's going to want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. In fact, part of the problem here is the only reason that this case was ever brought to trial in the first place is because you had a couple of gangster crooks running, running it from the jump, Fanny right. and, and Nathan, right? So nobody's going to want to touch this, even if there's a prosecutor's office that would love to be the ones that, which there are, there's no doubt a prosecutor in Georgia who's like, boy, I'd love to be the one to take this dude down. They're not going to risk their whole careers over it. They're not going to want to touch it. It's not going to help because it's going to push it. So they dismissed um, an attorney over one of these defendants already like two years ago and haven't gotten that one reassigned over one person, let alone this 19 person Rico case BS. Mm. So yeah, it's at this point, not coming to trial. And to your point, it very well may just die on the vine. Um, but there is just no way he's going to keep these people on this case, you know, unless Terrence Bradley pulls some kind of magic rabbit out of his hat, which, you know, I don't think he has any magic rabbit. He can't uh, because he's already put it all in writing, dude. Well, like he's either right, got well, a live bold face on the stand today, or he's got a cop to everything he knows. And if he does that, they're screwed. And if he we'll does the first thing, then he's for going today, to jail. And you're going to fill us in next week as this thing continues to progress. My and what favorite is, story in the well, history of it, Justified Pursuit. It is such a story because it it's a circus. It's an absolute clown show. Yes. <laughs> yeah. no, corruption dude. on every level of the thing. And you peel back... The layers of the onion and you find more what astonishes me man is the level of of pride and ego that these people have shown they could have bowed out of this thing a month ago and gone away and there was still going to be some investigations man like they were in trouble no matter what and maybe that's what they decided it was like if i'm going to go down i'm going to go down swinging like hell they were going to be in trouble no matter what when this came to light because the, the Congress got involved, Georgia Congress, et cetera, right? But the fact that, like this lady, Anna Cross, that I've mentioned that works for Fannie and this other dude whose name I forget, the fact that they're letting their their careers be destroyed over this, it makes it leaves me wondering, like, do they believe these people? Mm-hmm. And do they really think that this has just been like a complete nothing burger that's been misconstrued? Or... Does the CIA have crap on all of those people and forcing them like you're going to take this to your effing grave no matter what? Or is it just like Trump derangement syndrome at the most maximum level where these people are willing to perjure themselves? People who are officers of the court with law degrees and bar licenses are doing some things that you're just like, what in the hell? Is wrong with y'all. Well, like, but but uh, to be fair, like Nathan Wade perjured himself about divorce proceedings. So why would he? Uh, and that was before this ever even came to light. That's what so I'm saying. Is like these people were of being a scumbag. These people were already scumbags. It's the whole idea of leftist projection, dude. They brought an organized crime case against Trump and 18 people based on the fact that they're calling them liars and saying they knowingly were trying to manipulate the election process. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile. They're the biggest manipulative liars 
in Georgia. I believe there's an iron law that uh, applies right. here. That's right. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for episode 164 of Justified Pursuit. i got to get out of here. I've got to go respond to some of Ryan Bussey's Instagram posts. So for Chisholm Cook, I'm Cable Smith, and we will see you guys next week. Any call? Slut. Just an old sweet song Keeps Georgia on my mind